You have put a new song in my mouth. A song of praise. A sound that resonates. That all of heaven and earth may worship you. We tread the hills to meet with you. To see your majesty in all that surrounds us. For it speaks and displays the eternal God of ages. Creator. Author. Victor. In love, you established an everlasting covenant with your people. And it's your love that captivates us. As children of the King, we rush in as waves unrestrained. Overcome, overwhelmed, that the King crowned in glory and splendor would reach down to place a crown upon our heads. So we raise our banner, the banner we boldly stand under, the banner of Jesus Christ. From dusk to dawn, from age to age, your praise resounds in all the earth. Deliverer, Redeemer, ruler of an everlasting kingdom that cannot be shaken. We trust in the name of Christ Jesus, the only King forever. Welcome to Zion's Redemption Radio. This is Fundamentally Mormon. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. You can find this at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. And the text will also be posted on my Facebook wall at facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977. You can also find the text and the audio to this radio program on iTunes at Fundamentally Mormon and in the different Facebook groups that I am an admin of. Some of those groups are LDS Last Days Prophecy and Gospel Discussions, LDS Gospel Mysteries, Latter-day Unity, and others. You can find the pages that I admin also on my Facebook wall. And if you enjoy this program, please friend request me or follow me and uh, make me one of your close friends. We try to put out as many episodes as we can during the week. But I'm thankful for you to be here today. Let's get right into the reading today. We are going to be reading out of Ogden Kraut's books. You can find his books for free to read online at ogdenkraut.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. And today is the 20th day of May, 2021. The guest call in number is 917-889-8827. There is a link, well, actually, on the Facebook page, uh, facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S-1977. There's a link to the where the chat room is for anybody who may want to ask questions in the chat room. And um, hold on here. We're going to be continuing on with plural marriage uh, the Mormons and the Restoration of All Things, 
part three of chapter 15 of the Holy Priesthood, volume four. And uh, first we dedicate the program and then we'll educate. So let me just uh, push this little button right here. And the chat room is up and available for people who want to use it. All right, I'll dedicate the program and then we'll get right into the reading. Uh, today is my my daughter's eighth birthday, so we uh, were scrambling to get everything done. I just barely pulled out of the yard and started driving my semi truck, so I won't be to the uh, the mine for about 45 minutes. And my wife is scrambling to get ready. I'm sure she is on the program, but her her line is muted. So my daughter's eight today. And it's interesting because on May 20th of 2012, um, I think it was May 8th, well, I can't remember. Anyway, Kim posted on her Facebook May 20th of 2012 that she got engaged to me. So, and that was only a couple of days after we first talked. And we talked about that on the program yesterday. And it's interesting because one year to the day after we got engaged was the birth of my firstborn biological daughter, Eliza. And uh, she came home yesterday and she was all excited that she's going to be eight. And I said, no, you're not. I specifically remember that you were born on a Monday. And your birthday only happens when... May 20th happens on a Monday. So um, you're one years old, and in 2024, you'll be two. And she's all, no, it's my birthday tomorrow. And uh, I just had to tease her. And I was teasing my uh, 15-year-old son as well that uh, he can't drive until he's 16. And uh, according to my logic, he is only three. So. Anyway, uh, I like to tease my kids, and uh, I just thought that was funny. Um, Kim, are you on? Hello, Kim. I have no idea where she's at. It says her line is open, but um, I don't know if she's still trying to get ready or what she's doing. But anyway, all right, well, I'll dedicate the program. We'll get into the reading. And hopefully Kim will get here because I can't read while I'm driving. So, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray, Father, that we would see the redemption of Zion within our lifetime as we believe will happen. We love thee, Father, and we thank thee for the restored gospel as brought about by the prophet Joseph Smith. Help us to sift through the muddied waters of history and all of the lies and uh, stuff that Satan has done to try to muddy the waters. We thank thee, Father, for the Holy Spirit and for thy Holy Spirit, which teaches us truth, that we may come into thy light. We love thee and we ask thy blessing and say these things in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, even Jesus the Christ. Amen. 
Kim, I'm going to call her on the house phone and try to get a hold of her. Hi, honey. I, I just heard you. Sorry. Her. Oh, okay. Um, do you do you sound distant? Now I don't even hear you. Are you there? Um. Okay. Now I can oh. hear you, but I put you on hold by accident. Sorry. But what did you just say? Oh. I I just said you sound distant. Yeah, and then I hit the wrong button. Sorry. (laughs) Hold on just one second. I didn't mean to put you on hold. Okay. Anyway, uh, so um, Kim's all like, I am not talking as much today as I did yesterday because, uh, you know, by the time 9.30 comes around, she wants to be in bed because um, I usually get off work around 5 in the morning. I'm usually home, and I'm usually waking them up at 5.30 in the morning so that they can get ready and get out of the house by 6, because that's when my wife and my one-year-old sleep for the day. And and then uh, the other whole at 715, 720. So anyway, Kim doesn't want to be awake all night talking and talking and talking. But um and we didn't mean to get into the topic that we were talking about tomorrow. Um, but sometimes there's things that uh trigger me and I'm like, okay, that's not even the case. So we started talking about this quote that Joseph Smith Um, You know, he was supposed to live polygamy, and maybe the reason why he died is because he was threatened by an angel with a flaming sword, which did not happen. The account of that didn't happen until way after the fact. It was by one person, and then then other people were like, yeah, I heard that too. It's kind of like with Brigham Young. Brigham Young, he looked like Joseph Smith, and he even talked like Joseph Smith whenever they did the whole, like, trying to figure out who was the person that was supposed to lead them. And um, that account actually wasn't even written down in, in anybody's journal until many, many, many years after the fact. And then people were like, oh, yeah, I remember that too. And, like, some of the people that were like, I remember that, they weren't even in Nauvoo when that happened. They were out on mission. We know that. So how in the world were they there? They were witnesses of it, but at the time they were, like, on mission. And it's just crap, you know. It's it's the muddied waters that we see through historically. And if you don't know the full story, you're like, oh, that sounds legit. Well, it's not. So anyway, Brigham Young, or not Brigham Young, Joseph Smith didn't get murdered because he didn't live polygamy. That's just ignorant speculation. And so we talked about why God allowed him to be uh, murdered. Now, and I used myself as an example. I've been placed on this planet for a specific reason. Satan has been trying to kill me ever since I was a small child. We talked about the airplane accident that uh, I was on a C-130 when I was 10 years old back in 1987, I think it was, 87, 88, And we're flying from Osan, South Korea, to Kadena Air Force Base in Okinawa, where I live. Because my stepdad was military, and we lived over in Okinawa. As we were flying back from Osan, 
South Korea uh, at night over um, the sea between South Korea and Okinawa. Uh, everything turned off. <laughs> Engines were going out. The airplane, the electrical was going out. Like, all of the lights were going out. Like, it was a really bad experience for me. It's not the only time I've been in an airplane that was going to crash. Well, eh, well, I'll talk about that in a minute. But this event terrified me. But all of a sudden, we were like they were telling us to like lean forward, and we were all sitting in these cargo net seats along the the fuselage of the airplane, and uh, pretty uncomfortable. But uh, they were telling us to like lean or like face down. And, like, there were other wives and children of military uh, people on board, and there were people crying, and it was a a very terrifying experience. So uh, the next time I flew was out to uh, my mission in 97. We flew from Salt Lake City to Phoenix and then from Phoenix to Atlanta. Nobody came to see me at the airport, which you could do back then. None of my family, none of my friends. I was already sick, but that kind of made me very, very upset. And because of the combination of me crying and all of the sinus problems that I was having, my eardrums blew out. And I was actually deaf for the first three months of my mission. Not completely deaf. I hear really loud noises, but I couldn't even hear to regulate my own voice. It was difficult. One of my lungs collapsed. I got really sick. Um, On the way home from Atlanta to Denver, we had some major turbulence, and the whole flipping plane, I I swear it dropped 1,000 feet out of the air. I know, know, not 1,000 feet, but it felt like it. Like, and sideways, and everybody was going to, like, I've just had bad experiences on airplanes. Um, I also talked about how I'd been shot at four times. One was a hunting accident uh, that involved my cousin in a shotgun, and I remember watching the black BBs of the shotgun come towards me. Uh, it was birdshot. I probably would have lived, but everything went into slow motion, and I, like, fell back on my back and watched this black cloud of BBs go right where my head was. Um he was probably standing 20 or 30 feet down down from me. Um, in 96, before I met the missionaries, I actually started a gang that was a joke called the Mormon Mafia, and it was a bunch of goths and punks, and we were up in Ogden, and uh, one of the people that was in my gang, I was the godfather, uh, it was a joke. I mean, it wasn't... I've never meant for it to become what it became. We call it the Mormon Mafia. And uh, I love to mock Mormons. I hated Mormons. It's before my conversion. Anyway, um, one of my guys that was in my gang got drugs from a guy that was on Hill Air Force Base. And they were flying it in, I guess, on the uh, I guess C-130s. I don't know. They were flying it in on Hill Air Force Base. MPs were getting paid off to look the other way. And they were giving the drugs to my guys to sell in Ogden and Davis County and Weber County. And one of the other gangs decided they didn't like that. And they shot up the back of my car 
and uh, as we were uh, in a high-speed chase, uh, Washington Boulevard uh, made our way over to I-15, and then I finally lost them off the exit in late, no, Clearfield, Utah, by the Clearfield High School. That was in 97. Um, the next time I was shot at was in New Jersey. Um, I think it was in 2000. And uh, we were going to Journal Square to catch the subway to go over to Times, well, to the World Trade Center. And then um, I think it was the World Trade Center. And we caught another subway to go up to Times Square. And as I was walking through Jersey City, there was a bunch of black guys standing on the corner, and one of them pulled a gun out and walked about halfway across the street and said, hey. And I turned towards him, and he started shooting his gun at me. He emptied the clip. I, that was when I felt the wind of bullets right up against my right cheek. I guess if you're looking at me, it would be my left cheek. Um, the building that I was so there's no like yards in Jersey City. There's sidewalks and then there's buildings. The building that was right behind me was a brick building and the brick. I remember the chips of the brick, the bullets hitting the chips of the brick, uh, the brick and the chips spraying the back and the side of my person, whatever. Anyway, uh, he ran out of bullets. He put the gun down, or he didn't put it down. He dropped the gun down in his hand, and he, he said he had respect for me because I didn't, like, run from him. I just stared him down. So it wasn't for, like, I think it was four other guys that were standing behind him on the sidewalk, other gang. I, I believe they were gang members. I probably would have went after that guy because he didn't have any more bullets. But uh, I made a quick decision. probably had more guns than I needed to get out of there. And then the last time I got shot at was um, I was on Highway 9 south of Page, Arizona, before you dropped through the cut. And uh, people that know that area know what I'm talking about. And there was these four, well, there were two cars. I don't know how many guys there were standing in this parking dirt lot on the side of the road. And they were shooting guns at my semi-truck. And one of the bullets went right behind my head in the sleeper in the side of the semi-truck. And um, I, I, I was driving up the hill. I was loaded, so I wasn't going that fast. And I remember seeing a bunch of bottles. So I'm pretty sure there were a bunch of drunk Indians shooting up my truck as I was driving by. <laughs> okay, and then the last time, um, I wasn't shot at this time, but I was in Philadelphia and I was driving my semi-truck, and a guy ran out of the bank, and the security guard shot the guy right in front of me and killed him right in front of my truck. Just more experiences that I've had that... Oh, and then I've talked about how I've been stabbed um, by another individual, uh, tried to commit suicide by hanging and poisoning, overdose, uh, and I was also poisoned in a frack pond. So I don't even know I'm getting into all this. Kim, did you want to start reading, and I'll just shut up. Oh, I remember. Hold on. Yeah. Oh. Kim. Okay, never mind. Okay. Yeah. I, I do remember <laughs> why I was bringing this, all, all of this stuff. 
bringing it up because Joseph Smith died because it was time for him to go, because the saints were disobedient, and according to section 124, he would reject, Jesus would reject the church if they were disobedient, and they were. All the stuff that he said would happen if they were disobedient, that's what happened. All the stuff that he said would happen if they were obedient, none of that happened. So, like, this whole idea that Joseph Smith died because of he didn't live pulling me the right way or something, it's crap. That's crap. And um, I know that Joseph Smith wouldn't have died if, if God protected him. But God brought him home. I know that God protects his servants. We have a specific mission on the earth. And we will be here no matter what until it is time for us to die, no matter how many times Satan tries to kill us. Um, he can mar us through our reputation by getting people to hate us and to throw us in prison and all kinds of stuff, which is what happened to Joseph Smith. But he can't kill us until it's time for us to die. And we know that Job, what, that Satan couldn't kill Job either. It's because God does protect his servants uh, unless it's time for them to go. And then Joseph Smith died because the, the church was rejected. He could do no, nothing further to restore the church, to lay the redemption of Zion, and so he was taken. So anyway, now I will mute myself, and I will shut up so Kim can get some reading done tonight. <laughs> so take it I away. I thought at first when I, was, yep. when I was listening to you at first, I thought you were talking about, like, the other side of the story where I was talking about last night. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Oh, some of it. Um, all that Kim talked about last night or yesterday, like, that's part of the story. That's not the full story. But it's it's a good part of it. So, anyway. Um, no, I was just bringing it up because, like, that quote that somebody speculated or insinuated that Joseph Smith was taken because he didn't live polygamy correctly and uh, I don't believe that for one second. Anyway, go ahead, Kim. Yeah. We're, uh, okay, so I'm 1885, right? Yes. Yeah. So that's where I'm at right now. Okay, 1885. Prosecutions continued as federal officials paid rewards and bribes for information on cohabs. Many polygamists were imprisoned, went to into hiding, or moved to Mexico. In President John Taylor's last public address, February 1st, 1885, he said, quote, this is from Journal of Discourse, volume 26, page 148 and 149. These are precious principles, which only the saints know how to comprehend and appreciate. We are told that the natural man perceiveth not the things of God, neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. Sorry, I had my little thing in the way. They are spiritually discerned, and therefore those outside of that influence and spirit, which is communicated to the saints of the Most High through obedience to the gospel of the Son of God, find it very difficult to understand them. But we comprehend them because God has given unto his, us his spirit, which takes of the things of God and shows them unto I us. Them. You can't hear me? Yeah? Well, I couldn't hear you for hear about, now? I don't know, 15 oh. seconds. I hear you now. Okay, hold on. 
Now I just had to click in and out because I was messing with the thing because you said you couldn't hear me. Okay. Oh, and now the girls are... What, Eliza? Um, let's not forget to take my medicine today. Yes, let's not forget that. Okay. All right. Trying again. Um, do you want me to just read that quote over again? Because I can do that. Yes. Okay. So from Journal of Discourse, Volume 26, page 148 and 40, 149, quote, these are precious principles which only the saints know how to comprehend and appreciate. We are told that the natural man perceiveth not the things of God, neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. And therefore, those outside of that influence and spirit, which is communicated to the saints of the Most High through obedience to the gospel of the Son of God, find it very difficult to understand them. But we comprehend them because God has given us unto us his spirit, which takes of the things of God and shows them unto us, end quote. Again, Journal of Discourse, Volume 26, page 148 and 149. Shortly after this time, an aerial appeared in the Deseret News, undoubtedly the work of President John Taylor, because Charles Penrose, the editor, was in England at the time. It stated... And this is from Deseret Evening News Editorial, April 23rd, 1885. Um, quote, what would be necessary to bring about the result nearest the hearts of the opponents of Mormonism, more properly termed the gospel of the Son of God, simply to renounce, abrogate, or apostatize from the new and everlasting covenant of marriage in its fullness? Were the church to do that as an entirety, God would reject the saints as a body. The authority of the priesthood would be withdrawn with its gifts and powers, and there would be no more heavenly recognition of the ministrations among the people. The heavens would permanently withdraw themselves, and the Lord would raise up another people of greater valor and stability for his work. Must, according to his unalterable decrees, go forward, for the time of the second coming of the, sa of the Savior is near, even at the doors. That's end quote from Deseret N Evening News editorial, April 23rd, 1885. And some of these, it seems like um, the um, wording is off just a little bit, but I'm reading word for word what it says in the text. So hopefully it um, well, makes sense to well, they had a yeah. different way of talking back then, too. So, like, a lot yeah. of times when I'm reading the old quotes, I'm like, why are they saying it like that? That's just how they talk back then. So. Yeah. Yep. I just wanted the listeners to know because it's like, uh, I'm not actually misquoting it. It's what it says. So. <laughs> um, you have your head anyway. you have your I can hear myself talking in the background. Oh, um, I do not have the headset um, on, but hold on. I can I can change it to this. Is this better or worse? Yeah. No, that's way better. Um, last night, okay. in the last part of the show, you came in so clear. And I wonder if you had it on your watch. Did you? Were you talking with the mic in your watch? Oh, I'm not sure. I used all three mediums yesterday. Because <laughs> I was like, 
What are you using now? Because it sounds really good right now. Um, right now, I'm actually just using the speaker phone on my phone on the wing while I'm reading above. Okay. So that's what it okay. is. All right. All right. You know what? Um, so when you're reading, uh, so uh-huh. my wife has this really cool phone called the wing, which we got for mm-hmm. like a half off because it was brand new and they were having a sell. Anyway, so it's pretty cool. It like flips up and it's like a T. It looks like a T mm-hmm. phone. <laughs> But anyway, so can you read the text on the top and then uh, mute and unmute yourself on the bottom, or how does that work? I actually haven't even tried to do that um, right now, but I might be able to. Um, if you can wait just one second, I can try it. So. Oh, I was just wondering, maybe um, that might be something good to do if you, uh, you know, that way you can mute yourself if, like, I a kid can. comes in or if you're doing something. I can. Yep, I can do cool. that. I didn't know until awesome. you just said All that. Right. And I was like, I'll try it. Okay. Cool. So, All right, I'll mute okay. myself and you can talk. Okay. Um, I'll keep reading. What constitutes a genuine law of the land? This can be commensurately answered by stating the Constitution is in the supreme law of the land, and all statutes made in conformity with its provisions in letter and spirit are genuine laws. Those who conflict with it, according to that proposition, are not. The Edmonds Act is grossly unconstitutional and therefore is not essentially a law of the land in the true sense of the term because it is an infringement on the constitutional privileges, being ex post facto, a bill of attainder and a curlament of religious liberty. If it were constitutional law, there would be no conflict between it and the revelation on celestial marriage. There being a clash, there is no alternative but to sustain what God has given. That's Deseret Evening News Editorial, June 5, 1885. The judges and juries in territorial courts were anything but fair and impartial. For example, um, September 16, 1885, from the Church Chronicle, I don't know, it just says Chron. So maybe Church Chronicle, Jensen, page 17, quote, Judge Zane, in his instructions to the grand jury, interpreted the law in such a way that persons found guilty of unlawful cohabitation could be imprisoned for life. Again, from September 16th, 1885, Church um, Chronicles, uh, Jensen, page 17. Chronology. Okay, chronology. Why don't they, like, write it out then? Anyway. Um. Talk to Beverly. After, She's the one that put it all together on the website. Oh, I don't know. Maybe. Okay. After two days' trial in the first district court at Ogden, the jury returned a verdict of guilty against Lorenzo Snow for unlawful cohabitation in 1885. Notwithstanding, the evidence introduced had proven him innocent December 31st, 1885, also from the same uh, church chronology, um, page 24. 1886. The Mormons were now placed in critical position of either allowing the Lord to protect them and fight their battles or compromising and giving in to their enemies. This was clearly the proposition stated to them by Lorenzo Snow, who said in court, quote, 50 millions of people are said to be calling loudly for extermination of the Mormons. If it, in fact, <laughs> um, be, hold on. 
sorry. I think I touched something I shouldn't have touched, maybe. Yep, okay. Okay, this is a quote from Lorenzo Snow who said in court, 50 millions of people are said to be calling loudly for the extermination of the Mormons. If it be a fact that our religion is divine, established of God, there is no cause for alarm, nor even anxiety or uneasiness. Tens of thousands, through obedience to the sacred gospel, know it to be true, a fact, by immediate revelation to themselves. Therefore, these 50 millions of people are not fighting the Mormons or their religion, but they are fighting God and his purposes. Israel on the banks of the Red Sea were God's people of a fact perfectly known to Moses, and he knew also what were the purposes of God concerning them. Hence, there was no occasion for alarm or anxiety in view of overwhelming forces of Pharaoh's army threatening immediate annihilation. God's eye was upon Israel. They were there by his direction, a fact, a revealed fact, known to Moses and Aaron and doubtless to many others by direct communication from God. It is true they were placed in a frightful situation, naturally a hopeless one, from which no human power or ability could ex extra I'm sorry, ex extricate them. I couldn't say the word. I don't know why. Israel was there, not from choice, but by the command of God. And he had arranged his own program. Yet Pharaoh, with his armed hosts, sought to sort his purposes. And in the end, was overthrown and destroyed. And the result of this ignorance and folly stands recorded on the pages of history as a lesson to all generations. The prosecuting attorney was quite mistaken in saying the defendant, Mr. Snow, was the most scholarly and brightest light of the apostles and equally wrong when pleading with the jury to assist him and the United States of America in convicting Apostle Snow. And he would predict an, that a new revelation would soon follow, changing the divine law of the celestial marriage. Whatever fame Mr. Bierbauer may have secured as a lawyer, he certainly will fail as a prophet. The severest persecutions, prosecutions have never been followed by revelations, changing a divine law, obedience to which brought imprisonment or martyrdom. Though I go to prison, God will not change his law of celestial marriage. Millennial Star, volume 48, page 110 through 111, February 1886. At this critical juncture, a resolution or a form of manifesto was presented to President John Taylor. In reality, it was a minor compromise sought to lessen the political pressure from off the church. It was suggested that the president take it before the Lord for his approval. In answer, another revelation was received from the Lord. My son, John, you have asked me concerning the new and everlasting covenant and how far it is binding upon my people, thus saith the Lord. All commandments that I give must be obeyed by those calling themselves. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm just muted. Hmm. Hold on. Oh, my Bye. phone just reset. Okay, and it went black screen, so I was like, uh, what just happened? Hold on. Sorry. So... Once again, now for everybody who's listening, this stuff never happens until we're doing the show. I know. I don't have problems with my phone Seriously. ever. Yep. It's a brand new phone. Yeah. 
So I wasn't saying it yesterday, but my tablet kept on resetting. My phone kept on resetting. I kept having to call back in. Like, it's just the way it is. You know, when you raise your head up to oppose the devil's kingdom, of course he's going to fight against you in any way that he can. And that's what happens. And it's been happening ever since. Well, it's been happening my whole life pretty much. Kevin Kraut was actually like, because I always have problems with electronics, and he was like, well, what if you got some copper and put it in your shoes so that you could ground yourself out? Maybe you have too much energy. <laughs> like, oh, well, maybe. I don't know. But it's kind of funny because um, there was a, a psychic when I was homeless in 96 in San Francisco, and uh, he said, he says, you see spirits a lot, don't you? And I was like, yeah, why? He says, they're attracted to you. And I was like, why? Because there's a really bright light above your head, and it's like a beacon that calls out to them, and they're all around you all the time. And I'm like, uh, okay, that's weird. But um, <laughs> you've never seen that light, though, but you have been around me when other people have been like, there was this bright light around you. That's only yeah, happened there was, to you once, right? You remember that guy at the pool? Uh, yeah. Yeah, and he, he said, I didn't want to say anything, but the day after it happened, he said, yesterday when you were talking, there was light all around your head. Like, oh, yeah, I know, it happens. Other people have seen it, too, but I can't control when it happens, so. All right. Yeah. I'm on the mind road. I'm going to mute myself. I'll stop interrupting you. I'm sorry. Love you. Well, that wasn't an interruption. That was like you trying to uh, take time because I was trying to find my my space again. So hopefully this is about the right part again, and I will continue reading. <sighs> okay. Good. At this critical juncture, a resolution or form of manifesto was presented to the president, John Taylor. In reality, it was a minor compromise thought to lessen the political pressure from off the church. It was suggested that the president take it before the Lord for his approval. In answer, another revelation was received from the Lord. My son, John, you have asked me concerning the new and everlasting covenant and how far it is binding upon my people. Thus saith the Lord, all commandments that I give must be obeyed by those calling themselves by my name, unless they are revoked by me or by my authority, and how can I revoke an everlasting covenant? For I, the Lord, am everlasting, and my everlasting covenants cannot be abrogated nor done away with, but they stand forever. Nevertheless, I, the Lord, do not change, and my word and my covenants and my law do not. I have not revoked this law, nor will I, for it is everlasting, and those who will enter into my glory must obey the conditions thereof. Even so, amen. That comes from Revelations 1880 through 1890, Kraut, pages 54 through 55, also Douglas Todd Journal, September 1st, 1934. Frequently asked questions were, does federal agency have the right of, of jurisdiction over religion? Do the laws of man take precedence over the laws of God? Once again, an editorial in the Deseret News clearly answers these questions. From Deseret Evening News, editorial December 31st, 1886, quote, Any religious society or individual that views the law of, of man as superior to a law of God proclaims his own hypocrisy. That which is divine must be supreme, only that deity recognizes 
recognizes is valid. I'm sorry, only what deity recognizes is valid in religion. And he who truly believes in God will be willing to obey him in all things as the highest and greatest of all powers and authorities in heaven or on earth, in time or in eternity. End quote. From Deseret Evening News Editorial, December 31st, 1886. 1887. Every possible means was being used for the attempted destruction of the Mormon church wrote Charles Penrose, adding that what mobs failed to do in Missouri and Illinois and what ministers of all denominations have been unable to accomplish anywhere, legislators, judges, and lawyers are now trying to achieve in Washington and in Utah. That comes from Deseret Evening News, February 26, 1887. He was referring to another act called the Edmonds-Tucker Act the worst, most unconstitutional and unreasonable law that Congress ever conceived. It made the following stipulations. Number one, dissolve the Corporation of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints as a legal entity. Number two, made husband and wife patent witness. Number three, cause forfeiture and escheatment of all church property, both real and personal personal in excess of $50,000 to the gov federal government, the property to be disposed of, and the proceeds to be used for benefit of the district schools of Utah. Number four, dissolve the perpetual immigration immigrating company and escheated its resources to the federal government to be disposed of and used as were those of the church. Number five, prohibited the chartering of any corporation similar in nature or intent to the Perpetual Immigrating Company. Number six, abolished women's suffrage in Utah, disinherited polygamous issue. Number eight, provided for complete disenfranchisement of polygamists by test oath. A, they could not vote. B, they could not sit on juries. And C, they could not hold public office. Number nine, placed all law enforcement, judicial, and militia power in the Utah Commission or other federal appointees. Number 10, suspended territorial school laws. Number 11, required certification and registration of all marriages in the probate court. That is from Deseret News, March 3rd, 1887. The Constitution was meant to protect people in their religious rights, but with the passage of Edmund's Tucker Act, such protection was denied. Persecution replaced protection. America was founded and the Constitution created to guarantee freedom of religion. But evil politicians became as venomous and corrupt as those in the European nations from which they had fled. The effects of this law not only changed the condition of the church, but also the thinking of many Mormons. The defenders of plural marriage were succumbing to the onslaughts of Gentiles, as it was manifest in their proposal for a new state constitution. June of this year witnessed another attempt, the fifth of its kind, to secure for Utah the boon of statehood. The movement was especially notable from the fact that it was proposed by the Mormons, the Gentiles refusing to take any part in the proceedings, to insert in the state constitution an article prohibiting and punishing polygamy. The Constitutional Convention assembled at the City Hall, Salt Lake City, on the 30th of June, 69 delegates were present from nearly all counties. 
That comes from Whitney's History of Utah, Volume 3, page 583. The state constitution was framed and adopted with the following provisions. Section 12. I'm sorry, this also comes from Whitney's History of Utah, Volume 3, page 584. 584. Section 12 of Article 15, bigamy and polygamy being considered incompatible with a rep Republican form of government. Each of them is hereby forbidden and declared a misdemeanor. Any person who shall violate this section shall on conviction thereof be punished by a fine of not more than $1,000 and by imprisonment for a term of not less than six months, nor more than three years in the discretion of the court, end quote. This may not have had anything to do with the untimely death of President John Taylor living in exile, but he passed away a little over two weeks later. The election occurred on Monday, the 1st of August. The count of the votes cast showed the following result. For the Constitution, 13,195. Against the Constitution, 502. That's also from Whitney... Um, Whitney's History of Utah, Volume 3, page 585. The saints were becoming as pernicious as their persecutors. These were Mormons voting for a constitution that declared plural marriage a crime. This occurred only one year after John Taylor said the Lord revealed to him that the Latter-day Saints would soon give up plural marriage. The Mormons didn't even wait for the manifesto three years later. The great majority had already turned against plural marriage. 1889. Pandemonium reigned supreme in the land of the Mormons. The church had lost millions of dollars in property and businesses. Families were broken up with many leading men in the underground or in prison. Mormon polygamists were considered aliens, if not enemies, by the government. Local businessmen and bankers were crying to the church leaders to make a concession or compromise or to abandon polygamy by some form of manifesto. President Woodruff once again went to the Lord, and according to Abraham Cannon and others, a revelation was received. Cannon wrote an interesting account in his journal. Sunday evening, November 24, 1889, propositions had been made for the church to make some concessions to the courts in regard to its principles. Both President Woodruff's counselors refused to advise him as to the courts he should pursue, and he therefore laid the matter before the Lord. The answer came quick and strong. The word of the Lord was for us not to yield one particle of that which he had revealed and established. He had done and would continue to care for his work and those of the saints who were faithful. And we need to have no fear of our enemies when we were in the line of our duty. We are promised redemption and deliverance if we will trust in God and not in the arm of flesh. We were admonished to read and study the word of God and to pray often. The whole revelation was filled with words of the greatest encouragement and comfort, and my heart was filled with joy and peace during the entire reading. It sets all doubts at rest concerning the course to pursue. End quote. From Journal of Discourse, um, I'm sorry, end quote, but it's from the Journal of Abraham Cannon, December 19, 1889. 
parts of the revelation stated, let not my servants who are called to presidency of my church deny my word or my law, which concerns the salvation of the children of men. Place not yourselves in jeopardy to your enemies by promise. Let my servants who officiate as your counselors before the courts make their pleadings as they are moved upon by the Holy Spirit. Without any further pledges from my priesthood, I, the Lord, will hold the courts with the officers of government and the nation responsible for their acts towards the inhabitants of Zion. Awake, O Israel, and have faith in God and his promises, and he will not forsake you. I cannot deny my word, neither in blessings nor judgments. End quote. That's from the Messages of the First Presidency, Clark, Volume 3, page 176. Also, Gospel Doctrine Manual, Thy Kingdom Shall Roll Forth, 1979, page 58. 1890. Ten months after receiving this powerful revelation of 1889, Wilford Woodruff wrote in his private journal, after feeling inspired by his spirit, I have issued the following proclamation. This is a quote from September 25th, 1889, an entry in his journal. Inasmuch as laws have been enacted by Congress forbidding plural marriages, I hereby declare my intention to submit to those laws and to use my influence with the members of the church over which I preside to have them to do likewise. End quote. No revelation was ever entered in his journal supporting his official declaration, nor has one ever been published or found in church archives. It should be remembered at this point that in the 1880 revelation he received, the Lord had said, this is from January 26, 1880, Wilford Woodruff journal entry, quote, Woe unto that nation or house or people who seek to hinder my people from obeying the patriarchal law of Abraham, which leadeth to a celestial glory, which has been revealed unto my saints through the my mouth of my servant Joseph. For whosoever doeth these things shall be damned. End quote. From January 26, 1880, Wilford Woodruff Journal Entry. Thus, in 1880, Woodruff received a revelation saying, Woe to any people that hinder his people from living plural marriage. Ten years later, he signed a manifesto saying, I hereby declare my intention to submit to those laws against plural marriage and to use my influence with the members of the church over which I preside to have them do likewise. That is a quote from official declaration at the end of DNC. The manifesto I was actually praying about um, before talking to my husband. Um, So after the manifesto of 1890, or before my husband called me, excuse me, right before when I was saying that prayer. After the manifesto of 1890 was issued, the government and its citizens reversed their position and ceased to persecute the polygamists. Of course, I just said that, and now it decided to glitch on me. I should have just kept on reading. Okay, let me go back into here. Okay. I have to remember what it was. And I'm going to Hunter. Okay, sounds good. You're talking about the manifesto, so it's probably Mm -hmm. not going to get into all the details it can get into in this chapter. Right. But there's been books written on this. Charles Penrose admitted to writing the manifesto. He and I can't remember the other guy. They actually tried to get Wilfred Woodruff to sign 
the manifesto earlier, like I think it was a couple of years earlier. Actually, oh my gosh, there's one up there. Like, why do you need to know? One's coming down. I I swear, I the these uh, this other company that that I work with, mm-hmm. the mentality of these people, it's like they're children. Like they have to stop. I, I I don't even want to get into it, but oh my gosh, just I just I wish that I I just don't even like talking to them. <laughs> I don't like being around them, and they drive me nuts. Anyway, so um, okay, I'm finally out of off the mind property, so I don't have to listen to them anymore. Hopefully, um, but yeah, they were trying to get. Uh, Wilfred Woodruff to sign this beforehand, and then uh, mm-hmm. he got the revelation not to sign it in 1889. And uh, John Taylor and there was like four main major revelations where Jesus himself came and talked to them. When John Taylor was in the presence of Jesus Christ, Joseph Smith was there as a as uh, a resurrected being. Um, and when he came out of the room in Centerville, he was, like, glowing like Moses was glowing after he was in the presence of the angel of Jehovah on the mount where he got the Ten Commandments and all of that. They had to put a veil over his face because he was so bright. That happened with John Taylor. And Jesus Christ told him not to, to give in to these people, but Wilford Woodruff, he was told not to, and then he just did it. And he gave some lame yeah. excuses to why he was doing it. So something yeah, he, else about and this is what broke my shelf in 2012. Yeah. It completely broke my shelf. When I found out that Wilfred Woodruff was murdered the night after he was a keynote speaker at the Bohemian Club, which is a godless. Like, the, the, it's the Illuminati and Maybe the Bilderberg Group up. and all of this. And then he's gone. I know. I'm in a bad spot. Okay, sorry. I anyway, I couldn't hear you. Yeah. Right. Are you there? Okay. Well, come back down, and I'll keep reading, and then go back into it. Um, we're still talking about Woodruff right now. Um, it's you know. It says, thus in 1880, Woodruff received a revelation saying, woe unto any people that hinder his people from living plural marriage. And then, 10 years later, he signed a manifesto saying, I hereby declare my intention to submit to those laws against plural marriage and to use my influence with the members of the church over which I preside to have them do likewise. That's the official declaration at the end of DNC. After the Manifesto of 1890 was issued, the government and its citizens reversed their position and ceased to persecute the polygamists. The church also reversed their stand. Instead of defending plural marriage, they began to prosecute, persecute, and excommunicate those who still lived it. The, it, the consequence of such actions would have devastating effect on one's salvation. According to Heber C. Kimball, who had once warned in Journal of Discourse, Volume 5, page 203, Quote, let the presidency of this church and the 12 apostles and all the authorities unite and say with one voice that they will oppose the do- that doctrine and the whole of them will be damned. 
What are you opposing it for? It's a principle that God has revealed for the salvation of the human family, end quote. From Journal of Discourse, Volume 5, page 203. 1891, the manifesto had been signed, and now church members asked to be pardoned. Church leaders wrote a letter to the President of the United States in which they made a petition for amnesty. The President of the United States, um, we, the First Presidency and Apostles of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, beg to respectfully represent Your Excellency the following facts. We formally taught to our people that polygamy or celestial marriage as commanded by God through Joseph Smith was right, that it was a necessity to man's highest exaltation in the life to come. That doctrine was publicly promulgated by our president, that the late Brigham Young, 40 years ago, and was steadily taught and impressed upon the Latter-day Saints up to unto September 1890. The government added disfranchisement to its other punishment for those who clung to their faith and fulfilled its covenants to be at peace with the government and in harmony with their fellow citizens who are not of their faith. Our people have voluntarily put aside something which all their lives they have believed to be a sacred principle. That is from Smoot Case Proceedings, Volume 1, page 18, also, the contributor, volume 13, page 196, 1896. Right. Okay, we can hear you. Okay, Smoot was actually a senator from Utah who was a Mormon, and yes. uh, they brought him to trial in Congress. That's where the Smoot hearings came from. Um, Daniel, in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, saw in the last days, that a stone would be cut out of the mountain, made without hands, and that, uh, the, that the saints of the Most High would be worn out by the beast. That's the saints, and the beast is the governments of the world, uh, especially, uh, unfortunately, the American government. So, um, and they were worn out in this way. This is how they were worn out. This is Satan has always had a problem with plural celestial marriage because he understands the importance of it. And that's why Satan had the government going after the saints so harshly because uh, they're, the, they're the beast. They're the beast. Um, now, the thing with Wilfred Woodruff, he gave in to the beast. Um, I... God has had me study different topics throughout the years. I've always been oriented in the gospel, but he'll have me study out uh, different topics in history. He'll tell me, okay, read and study out the, uh, the Founding Fathers, the Constitution, um, just a bunch of that kind of stuff. Well, for about two or three years, he had me go in-depth into the Illuminati the Bilderberg Group, the Bohemian Grove, and the CFR, Council on Foreign Relations, all of these secret societies. And I learned a lot about them during that time. Um, so I understood when I found out in, in the fall of 2012 that Wilfred Woodruff was in San Francisco when he died. The night before, 
in the more so he died in the morning. Um, the night before, he was the keynote speaker at the Bohemian Club, which owns the Bohemian Grove, which is disgusting and wicked. And I was like, how in the world is a prophet of God having anything to do with this, these, these statements? And that's what they are. They worship care. They worship all. They used to sacrifice children um, up until modern times when they sacrificed children in effigy. And all that means is that instead of taking a child now, and I think they probably still do kill children, but instead of taking a child now, what they do is they take a mannequin of a child and they sacrifice that instead. You know, but, but Wilfred Woodruff was the keynote speaker at this club that does these things. And then he was poisoned by cyanide the day after, and he died. And I, when I found that out, I couldn't believe it. So I went and used my, uh, my methods of research that I learned in college to uh, find newspaper articles about it in San Francisco, in the New York uh, papers, and in the Salt Lake Tribune. And it talked about this, right? I was like, what? And, the, and that threw me through a loop. This guy gave in to Satan. Uh, and in fact, when they read the, the manifesto, Wilfred Woodruff was heard to say, we have made a pact with death and hell, which is exactly what Isaiah saw in Isaiah chapter 28 when, he ta- when Isaiah talks about the drunkards of Ephraim. And why are they drunk? It's because they're drunk on the spirit of Babylon the Great. They're the saints of God who are drunk on the spirit of Babylon the Great. It talks about all of these things in the scriptures. This is prophecy being fulfilled. So, um, yeah, I just, I just, I don't even know. Like, and you know, if it wasn't for the fact that somebody turned me in for the Adam-God doctrine to my state president, I might have still been in the church. In fact, after after I was excommunicated, we still went to church. And if it wasn't for these people, when we lived in Orangeville, we'd probably still be going to the LDS church. But they became our enemies. So we have nothing to do with them anymore. Anyway, go ahead, Kim. Okay. 1896. Utah became a state with their own state constitution through the Enabling Act. The constitution was framed with a toleration of religious sentiment included first perfection or perfect toleration of religious sentiment as guaranteed no inhabitant of this state shall ever be molested in person or property on account of his or her mode of religious worship but polygamous or plural marriages are forever prohibited this was clearly a contradiction of terms and it still stands on the pages of our utah constitution 1904. On April 6, 1904, Joseph F. Smith issued what later became known as the Second Manifesto, wherein he stated, I, Joseph F. Smith, President of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, hereby affirm and declare that no such marriages have been solemnized with the sanction, consent, or knowledge of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. If any officer or member of the church shall assume to solemnize or enter into any such marriage, he will be deemed in transgression against the church and will be liable to be dealt with according to the rules and 
regulations thereof and excommunicated therefrom. End quote from Message of the First Presidency, Volume 4, page 84. Francis M. Lyman then presented this manifesto to the General Conference attendees for their adoption, which they eagerly did. Michael Quinn referred to the importance of this document, document in a widely circulated article published 10 years ago. Sorry, I'm a little bit distracted because there was like, I'm outside still, and there was a vehicle that pulled over right across the road from me. And I was like, why is there headlights right there? <laughs> and then um, all of a sudden, there's no shoulder on the road there. Yeah, I know there isn't. Uh, but a police officer came flying over the hill with his lights on. I guess the van could see oh. his lights. Oh, yeah, we might. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we live like the road. There's like a little bit of a hill there, so you can't see anybody coming when, hardly when you come out of our driveway. Yeah. So. so. Yeah, so I couldn't see it. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, whoa, now there's lights going. So I was like, okay, I'm a little bit distracted. <laughs> I do have ADD. And I was like, what is going on? Uh, okay, I hope so. that there isn't some kind of domestic dispute over there in the town that we live in, by which we shall not name. <laughs> I don't know. Um, okay, sorry. All right, now I will continue. Michael Quinn referred to the importance of this document in a widely circulated article published 10 years ago. Um, this comes from LDS Church Authority. No, wait. It has two quotes, one on top of the other. Message of the First Presidency, Volume 4, four page 84 through 85. On April 6, 1904, Joseph F. Smith presented his official statement for the vote of the General Conference. A polygamist confident of both President Smith and Senator Smoot told the Senator's secretary that the second manifesto had a hidden meaning. The new manifesto modifies that of 1890 by eliminating unlawful cohabitation. Unlawful cohabitation now has the sanction of the church, though the people did not know what they were doing in adopting it. End quote. That's from Message of the First Presidency, Volume 4, page 84 and 85. The next quote comes from LDS Church Authority and New Plural Marriages, 1890-1904, D. Michael Quinn, Dialogue 18... Uh, volume 18, page 1, uh, in spring of 1985. That's a whole lot for this little tiny quote, but um, that's where it comes from. Quote, despite the second they manifesto's actually, Yeah? He just died like two weeks ago. That is Michael Quinn. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let me finish his quote. Despite the Second Manifesto's unqualified denial of the post-manifesto polygamy, the circumstances of its ratification by the General Conference also sent another message to those who were already aware of what had been happening on and off for more than 13 years, end quote. See, Michael Quinn, Dialogue 18, uh, Actually, now Spring, I'm a little confused. It may have been Bushman that died a couple weeks ago. Now I'm confused. I might be wrong. Anyway, whatever. It okay. doesn't matter. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. 1931. 
After many little manifestos, the so-called third manifesto was issued by Heber J. Grant, and it was even more effective in trying to put an end to plural marriage once and for all within the church. It wholeheartedly supported the arrest and conviction of all polygamists. This is what I don't get. Like, we had all these great revelations. It was all going great and wonderful, and now all of a sudden we have these prophets or so-called uh, prophets who are like, those days that, nope false alarm they don't do that anymore now we are just going to say to whom it may concern and be issuing all these manifestos anyways continuing on we have been however revelation from the beast the beast government tells them what to do and then they say to whom it may concern that's a that's a revelation from the beast that's all that is yeah we have been, however, and we are entirely willing and anxious to do that such offenders against the law of the state should be dealt with and punished as the law provides. We have been and are willing to give such legal assistance as we legitimately can in the criminal p- prosecution of such cases. We are willing to go to such limits not only because we regard it as our duty as citizens of the country to assist in the enforcement of the law and the suppression of pretend plural marriages, but also because we wish to do everything humanly possible to make our attitude toward this matter so clear, definite, and unequivocal as to leave no possible doubt of it in the mind of any person. End quote. That comes from Message of the First Presidency, Volume 5, page 292 and 93. I would like all those in this congregation who feel to sustain this statement that I have read to you to manifest it as the apostles and all the general authorities have done by raising their right hands. The congregation responded by raising their hands. I have never seen such a lot of hands held so high in my life. All those who are opposed to this statement will please raise their hands. No hands were raised. Our enemies do not seem to be here. That's from the same message of the First Presidency, Volume 5, page 297. 1935. It is said that J. Reuben Clark and Hugh B. Brown, both lawyers, worked on a bill, HB number 224, which made polygamy a felony, the only state in the union giving it such a severe classification, and this in a state founded and settled by polygamists. No other principle of the gospel had been so complex and controversial. At one time, it was considered a most holy law of God that men would die for then later, uh, die for. Then later, according to James E. Talmadge, the plurality of wives was an incident, never an essential. Story of Mormonism, page 86. But according to Brigham Young um, in the Millennial Star, volume 27, page 673, but uh, um, the doctrine of polygamy with the Mormons is not one of a kind. That in religious world, in the religious world, is is classed with non-essentials. It is not an item of doctrine that can be yielded, and faith in the system remains. The whole question, therefore, narrows itself to this in the Mormon mind. Polygamy was revealed by God or the entire fabric of their faith is false. To ask them to give up such an item of belief is to ask them to relinquish the whole, to acknowledge their priesthood a lie, their ordinances a deception, and all they have toiled for, lived for, bled for, prayed for, or hoped for, a miserable failure and a waste of life. That is also the Millennial Star, Volume 27, page 673. So... 
Let me ask people out there who are true believing Mormons, whatever. The church teaches you that the president of the church will never lead the church astray in false doctrine. Right, now who, which one's correct? Is Brigham Young correct when he said what he said, or was the other guy correct when he said something that contradicts the teaching that Brigham Young taught? So, um, I'll be right back, Kim. Oh, yeah, or we could just talk about um, the president of the church who contradicted himself uh was he when he was president of the church first and he said that they should that he got a revelation saying they should never disavow plural marriage and then later on did disavow it all on his own and signed into law so yeah it's confusing when you know god is supposed to be yes the same yesterday today and forever for all eternity the same person if it is an eternal law it is an eternal law which goes on for the eternities forever right that's an eternal law um so it's not here for one day and then gone the next and some people believe that we won't have to live it now but we will be asked to live it when we die um no 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 the things that we do here are to prepare us for where we will be in the next life. We are damning ourselves to whatever level of exaltation it is that um, we are willing to um, learn, uh, you know, suffer, you know, all the things that we go through here. The things that we learn, the things that we go through prepares us for the exaltation that we um, have when we, um, move on to the next probation, <laughs> to the next life. Um, I'm, yeah. I am just coming out of the sunny side yet, but I can hear some of what you are talking about just now. Can you hear me mm-hmm. all right? I can hear you now, yep. Now, what did Alma say? This life is the time for men to prepare to meet God. And yeah. how exactly he put it, that they have this time, this life is a, is a, is the time for men to prepare to meet God, to do their works. Then cometh the night of darkness wherein there can be no labor performed. You're not going to have a second chance if you had a chance to begin with to live God's laws. Now, you're going to have to choose between God's laws and man's laws because you can't serve two masters. You can either live God's law and be persecuted by the beast, which will always happen, or you can live the beast's laws and receive the reward of the beast. You don't get to have a second chance. You don't get to, oh, we'll live it in the millennium. No, you won't be in the millennium at first. You won't be part of the first resurrection. It's not going to happen. You give up God's laws because you're afraid of the beast, you don't get the reward of people who follow God's laws. All blessings are predicated upon the laws by which um, uh, I can't remember exactly how it goes. But you know what I'm talking about, right? Maybe you could help me. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Um, I don't, I don't know how it's worded either, though. 
half. But people out there who are scriptorians or who have read the scriptures, they know also what we're talking about. If you don't live God's laws, you don't get God's blessing. Period. If you do not participate in is. It's the blessings are, um, it's something about the blessings being um, given um, because of the laws that are. Well, all blessings are tied to obedience to the law by which they are given. So uh, if you're open to plural celestial marriage and God tells you to live it and you don't live it, then you don't get the blessing. If you're not even open to it, don't expect to get it later because it ain't going to happen. And if if your traditions have got you so opposed against God's laws, well, you just damn yourself because your own foolish traditions and ideas. So. Mm-hmm. Okay, continuing on. <laughs> Giving up plural marriage, opposing it, supporting it, the prosecution of polygamists and considering them enemies is one thing, but achieving the blessings promised to those who live it is another. Obedience to a law and opposition to the law cannot render the same reward. In 1878, Joseph F. Smith stated, and this is an extremely long quote, so I'm trying to find, oh, it's um, Journal of Discourse, Volume 20, uh, page 28, through 30, so this couple pages. Um, Some people have supposed that the doctrine of plural marriage was sort of superfluity or non-essential to the salvation or exaltation of mankind. In other words, some of the saints have said and believe that a man with one wife sealed to him by the authority of the priesthood for time and eternity will receive an exaltation as great and glorious if he is faithful as he possibly could with more than one. I want to hear, I want here to enter my solemn protest against this idea, for I know it is false. The marriage of one woman to a man for time and eternity by the sealing power, according to the law of God, is a fulfillment of the celestial law of marriage in part. But this is only the beginning of the law, not the whole of it. Therefore, whoever has imagined that he could obtain the fullness of the blessings of pertaining to the celestial law by complying with only a portion of its conditions has deceived himself. He cannot do it. It is useless to tell me that there is no blessing attached to obedience to the law, polygamy, or that a man with only one wife can obtain as great reward, glory, or kingdom as he can with more than one being equally faithful. Patriarchal marriage involves conditions, responsibilities, and obligations. Man cannot receive the fullness of the blessings unless he fulfills the law any more than he can claim the gift of the Holy Ghost after he is baptized without the laying on of hands by the proper authority or the remission of sins without baptism. I understand the law of celestial marriage to mean that every man in this church who has the ability to obey and practice it in righteousness and will not shall be damned. I say I understand it to mean this and nothing less, and I testify in the name of Jesus that it does mean that, end quote. Journal of Discourse, Volume 20, page 28 through 31. Most church members in our day live with a half-hearted, partially converted, poor understanding of the gospel. Boy, if that is not an understatement. They obey part okay, of the law. I have a problem with this statement. Okay. Daniel, the prophet Daniel was made a eunuch by Nebuchadnezzar. 
That's exactly what I was thinking about. Yeah. This idea that God is going to withhold blessings from people who can't get married, no. But if you have the opportunity to participate in uh, in this system of marriage and you refuse, like so if, for instance, I'll just bring up Janelle. Janelle was invited to live with us as a wife. What did she say, Kim? She would accept for the church forbids it. Wasn't that what something she said? Something like that. Um, I was trying, yeah, at first I was like, like what are you even talking about? I don't even remember that. That was like years ago. But, um, yeah, that she said, well, ago. as soon as, I forgot, but she said something like, well, as soon as the church as as the allows church it. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's kind of funny because, like, uh, Ken and I, uh, you know, we visited Janelle. Like, Janelle has this, like, magnetic attraction towards me. It's and cute. Kim giggles. It is. Funny. I know. It is. But, but anyway, I just, it's just one of the examples that I can use, you know, like somebody who has the opportunity to live it. Now, we know, I know because of personal revelation that the whole reason for plural celestial marriage is so that um, the, the, because there are many more elect females than there are males, um, that they need to be sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise to a man who is an elect to receive their higher blessings of exaltation. That has to happen. God allows plural marriage, plural celestial marriage, because of that purpose. So it's not even about me getting a bunch of wives. And any polygamist who's all about, oh, I'm going to build my kingdom by having lots of wives because whatever. That's not what it's about. Never was what it was about. All of that is simply speculation of men and their fallen carnal states. The whole reason for it is so that a woman can be filled to a man. That's why Joseph Smith lived plural celestial marriage, but he didn't have any children by them. It wasn't necessary. So, um, and that's why Joseph Smith was actually filled to other people's wives, because they were married to Gentile men. They were the elect women of God who had the opportunity to receive the higher blessings, which, which can only be had by people who are filled by the Holy Spirit of promise to somebody uh, of the opposite gender, and that that makes them whole. So Joseph Smith was still to other people's wives. He wasn't married to them. There's a big difference. So anyway, that's the whole reason why that's important. Anyway, go ahead, Kim. Giving up plural marriage, opposing it, supporting the persecution of polygamists, and considering them enemies is one thing, but achieving the blessings promised to those who live it is another. Obedience to a law and opposition to that law cannot render the same reward. Oh, wait. I just read that part. Sorry. So while you were talking about everything that you were talking about, uh, my phone glitched again, and I was like, oh, I'll just fix it while he's talking. (laughs) Sorry. Okay. Most church members in our day live with a half-hearted, partially converted, poor understanding of the gospel. They obey part of the laws but expect the blessings for living them all 
But can a person work half a day and expect a full day's pay? Can you expect to continually buy something of value for half its worth? The fullness of the gospel is not a McDonald's hamburger, but rather a full-course dinner requiring a full price payment. The history of Mormon polygamy sorry, is a paradox, an absolute contradiction in principle and practice. For 40 years, it was taught that in the history record, in history, historical record, volume 6, page 227. I am getting tongue-tied right now. Quote, the doctrine of plural and celestial marriage is the most holy and important doctrine ever revealed to man on the earth. And that without obedience to that principle, no man can ever attain to the fullness of exaltation in celestial glory, end quote. Then for the next hundred years, it was considered to be a serious sin and felony, and a felony. Those who lived it were accused of living in adultery, have sold their souls to Satan, and whether their acts are based on ignorance or lust or both, they will be damned in eternity. That is Mormon Doctrine, first edition, Bruce R. McConkie, page 523. Why would God tell people they must live this most holy principle up to September 25th, 1890, and then the next day begin the inconsistent program of telling them it was a terrible, adulterous evil for what they could be thrown out of his church and even be damned? One apostle understood the importance of plural marriage to mean that we should, in this regard, place ourselves in the same position as that of the three Hebrews who were cast into the fiery furnace. That's Heber J. Grant, Deseret News, April 4th, 1885. Yet another apostle said, we do not understand why the Lord commanded the practice of plural marriage. John A. Woodso, Imperial Era, Empirical, or imp, it just says imp, I don't know, imp era, 4691. era. Okay, that's nice improvement era. It could mean a million different yeah. things. <laughs> I heard you saying that yesterday, and I was in a bad area, and I was like, improvement era, but you couldn't hear me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know what all these abbreviations stand for. So, uh, Johnny Whitcoe may not have understood it. Johnny Whitcoe and others may not have understood it. Joseph Smith understood it perfectly well, and so do I. So, um, and Satan understands it too. That's why he's so hell-bent against fighting against it. That's why he fights against it so hard, because he understands it. He understands it's important. He he will do anything he can do uh, do to tear people down from receiving the highest blessings, because it hurts them and it hurts God. It hurts God as our father and us as his children. And it is one of the most important principles. So. Every Latter-day Saint is under the obligation of determining whether plural marriage is right or wrong. Because if there is anything virtuous, lovely, or of good report or praiseworthy, we seek after these things. Thirteenth Article of Faith. We should recognize that when obeyed and lived correctly, plural marriage can certainly fall into that category. The end. Oh, my goodness. Are we actually done with that chapter? I finished it. Awesome. So It's a miracle. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So uh, the next chapter is going to be the conclusion. 
Coliseum for, and mm-hmm. um, I can't. I don't know if I have to split that up or not. Um, but we're not going to be on tomorrow. We are going up to Lehigh uh, to participate in the Hebraic Conference of Mormonism and Shavuot, which is on Sunday, and we're going to be staying up at a hotel up in Utah County for a couple of days. And uh, we're all excited, but we're not going to be on the program tomorrow. Not going to happen. So we'll have to do that on Monday, and then um, we'll finish that out, and then we'll be in Volume 5. Uh, the phone lines are open if anybody wants to call in, um, but uh, since I'm pretty sure that's not going to happen. Um, let me just – I I was testing out um, – uh, an app on my phone uh, to do a recording to add it to my uh, studio and um, it's only a couple minutes long but I was reading um, the stick of Joseph in the hand of Ephraim which is a Hebraic version of the Book of Mormon which you can find on Amazon for 18 for $19 and uh, I bought four of them. I got one for me, one for my wife, one for our friend David, and one for uh, our friends Blaine and Julie. And um, I was reading from it the other day and doing a recording, and um, it's only a couple minutes long, but I, I thought it was nice. It's about Alma and Amulek and how they meet. So I'll play that, and uh, at the end of that recording, if I don't see anybody in the studio, that's fine. We'll just go straight to the music and the end of the program. So, Kim, was there anything that you had to say before we uh, do that? Um, nope. Okay. So, uh, all right. I'll just uh, I'll play the uh, the clip that I recorded, and uh, I I'm going to start recording these off air and then adding them to my studio so that I can play them on the show. And um, I probably do won't do it MX all the phone? time, but I do have Emmett's phone, and I am charging Emmett's okay. phone. Awesome. So I, okay. Um, uh, you can do that and then hang up and call me on Emmett's phone. Oh. Uh, mm. I'll call you as soon as the music's done playing. Is that all right, or do you need me to call you right away? Nope, it's good. After that, it's great. Love you. Okay, uh, you can actually hang up, and I'll play the recording, and then I'll call you on the other line. Okay, I have to. Love you, bye. Okay, I love you too, bye. All <laughs> right, um, yeah, I'll, I'll just play that test run. It's only a couple minutes. Like I said, the guest call-in line is open. The uh, guest number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. And if we don't have anybody who calls in, that's fine. I'll just go straight to the music. And we'll be back on on Monday. Unless if you said to do a special program on Shavuot. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Thank you for listening, everyone. And I'll be right back.
And it came to pass that while he was journeying there, being weighed down with sorrow, waiting through much affliction, or much tribulation and anguish of soul, because of the wickedness of the people who were in the city of Ammonihah, it came to pass that while Alma was thus weighed down with sorrow, behold, an angel of Jehovah appeared unto him, saying, Blessed are you, Alma. Therefore, lift up your head and rejoice, for you have great cause to rejoice. For you have been faithful in keeping the mitzvot of Elohim from the time which you received your first message from him. Behold, I am he that delivered it unto you. And behold, I am sent to command you that you return to the city of Ammonihah and preach again unto the people of the city. Yes, preach unto them. Yes, say unto them, except they repent, Adonai, Yehovah, will destroy them. For behold, they do study at this time that they may destroy the liberty of the people. For thus saith Yehovah, which is contrary to the statutes and judgments and mitzvot which he has given unto his people. Now it came to pass that after Alma had received his message from the angel of Jehovah, he returned speedily in the land of Ammonihah, and he entered in the city by another way, yes, by the way which... was on the south of the city of Ammonihah. And it came to pass as he entered the city, he was hungry, and he said to a man, Will you give to a humble servant of Elohim something to eat? And the man said unto him, I am a Nephite, and I know that you are a holy prophet of Elohim, for you are the man whom an angel said in, in a vision, you shall receive, therefore go with me into my house, and I will impart unto you of my food. And I know that you will be a blessing unto me and unto my house. And it came to pass that the man received him into his house, and the man was called Amulek. And he brought forth bread and meat and set it before Alma. Okay, I'm back. Yeah, nobody called in, so we're just going to end the program for today. So uh, we'll be back on Monday, and maybe we might do a special program before that, but probably not. So thank you for listening, everyone. Take care. God bless. And goodbye. Mm-hmm.